This is the I Read Comic Books Podcast. I am your host, Mike Rappin. Joining me this week are two fantastic human beings and a very, very special guest. I'm here with Nick White. Hey. Renee Rodriguez. Hola. And David Pepos. Hi. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you so much for being on the show, my friend. You are a creator of the series Spencer and Locke. Thank you so much for being on the show this week. We're really excited to talk to you about comics and stuff, but you know, let me get into the question I ask every single week to every person that's ever been on this show. How have you been, and how have comic books been? Let's start with you, David. Tell us a little bit about yourself, and tell us what comics you've been reading. Sure. Um, well, I got my start in the comics industry uh, uh, about 10 years ago. Uh, I worked in the editorial department as an intern at DC Comics. Uh, I worked on books like Final Crisis, Batman R.I.P., Green Lantern, Secret Origins. And um, uh, coming from there, I wound up working as the reviews editor at Newsarama uh, for the better part of a decade um, before kind of tripping and falling into writing a comic of my own, uh, Spencer and Locke, which is uh, what if Calvin and Hobbes grew up in Sin City? Uh, We've got our sequel that's going to be hitting stores in May. And uh, we just announced my latest book, Going to the Chapel, which is Die Hard at a Wedding. Um, So... Uh, as far as books that I've been reading lately, um, boy, there's been a lot of really cool stuff going on. Um, you know, I've been reading, uh, I read uh, Marvel Team Up uh, the other week. I really love that kind of flip book element with the Miss Marvel and Spider-Man Team Up. Um, Die by Karen Gillan is fantastic, as is Peter Cannon Thunderbolt. Um, Self-Made over at Image, I've also really been enjoying. It has kind of a Black Mirror kind of vibe. And then, uh, of course, uh, you know, uh, Tom King's work on Batman. The Nightmare's Arc has been kind of this very audaciously experimental work um, that's been kind of a cool jam session with a bunch of uh, top flight artists uh, and characters. So, um, yeah, it's been it's been really cool. I, you know, I I, uh, just reading, uh, you know, all, all the stuff that's been coming in lately. Very cool. That's awesome, man. I, I didn't realize that you had worked at Newsarama for so long. I, I, I want to get into that. We will get into that into the second half of the show, I promise, because I'm really curious about what it's like working over there. But, um, man, that sounds, you're reading a lot of the same books that we are. We are a 100% pro-die podcast at this point um, mm-hmm. because we all want to die, but also we love the comic die. <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding about that first part. <laughs> I you know I feel like I feel like Kieran Gillen is the 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 type of writer I want to be someday because he is just so yeah. ruthlessly smart, um, infuriatingly so, and uh, you know the way that he's sort of able to uh, uh, break from convention is uh, is is something that for me as a writer I'm particularly jealous of and something that I always try to emulate. Totally. Are you? I just have to wonder. Are you an RPG player? Are you like a tabletop RPG player? Uh, you know, I wish. I, I always laugh. I say, you know, the thing that the thing about uh, Dungeons and Dragons and the like is that it, it requires friends to do it. Um, but I, 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 uh, I, you know, I'm a big. Uh, you know, I, I really enjoy video game RPGs. Um, mm-hmm. Skyrim, Fallout. Um, I have to actually be careful uh, when I play those games because otherwise I will like lose all of my writing time. Uh, right. Uh, yeah, like like any of the Bethesda games um, in in that regard, I'm a huge fan of. And uh, yeah, I uh, uh, one of these days, maybe somebody will adopt me for their D and D campaign. One of these days. Okay, I will schedule that, and we will get it all figured out. Don't worry, we've got a bunch of tabletop nerds here on the show. We'll make it happen. Uh, <laughs> cool. Well, Renee, how about you? How have you been? How have comic books been? Well, I've been super duper there, pal. Um... <laughs> <laughs> okay okay 
It's been good. It's been pretty good since uh, C2E2, and I've got a lot of comics that I've been trying to read and catch up on, and uh, instead of doing that, I've been buying other comics. So, you know, it's pretty good. <laughs> That's smart. That's how you never run out. That's how you yeah, make exactly. sure it never happens. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But uh, this week I read, I finally read um, Tom King's The Vision, um, which was super good, super sad. I read yeah. it at like three in the morning, though. Uh <laughs> So what? you just cried yourself to sleep is what you're, you're going to love all of his other Marvel stuff, Renee. It's you're going to. What makes you think I'm going to read all of his other Marvel stuff? It's, it's, Not that a, I'm it's, against it's, it, but just it's, how it's dare a joke, you? Renee. Like after he <laughs> finished that, I think that was the he didn't do anything else at Marvel before DC made him yeah. exclusive. Oh, exactly. Okay. Either way, it was really good. I didn't cry myself to sleep, but I was very sad. Um, yeah. But yeah. it was great. Um, I also going along with the sadness train i also read sweet tooth <laughs> volume two. Oh um, man yeah it was like a mega volume but not like the omnibus volume but it was it was like a collection of like two or three trades something like that it was really good but this book is sad i am yeah, sad that's, that's the jeff lemire who else is on that that's just him uh it's just him he does the story really and art but Jose uh, Villarubia does the colors, which uh, I love the colors. Yeah. They're fantastic. And Pat Brousseau does the lettering, which I feel like the lettering of that book does not get enough credit because, mm-hmm. like, it changes up, and it's also really good. Did I, you read, like, these books back-to-back, Renee? Because that's like, does not seem like a smart idea for one's emotional well-being. <laughs> well, I'm a super happy guy, so, you know, sometimes I need uh, an emotional kick off. to the... Yeah, I need an emotional kick to the nads um, <laughs> just to ground me, you know? Uh, yeah, and then, yeah. Uh, we're going to hit the uh, – oh, wow. I just kind of realized all the books I read this past week were super sad because I read Monster Volume 2, <laughs> which that book Praise. is amazing. Praise. That book is dope. But it's so sad. <laughs> so much darkness. And then um, the last thing I read was uh, the latest chapter of Hell's Paradise – Jigo Kuraku, which is a manga by Yuji Kaku, and it's um, I've been reading it through Shonen Jump. Um, even though it's more of an adult series, I don't actually think it runs in Jump, but you can read mm-hmm. it on the site. And that is an awesome series. It's about a ninja who is on death row and is given a chance to go back to his wife if he goes to this mysterious island to find the elixir of life for the emperor. And on the island, there's just a bunch of monsters and this crazy, like, god and all these other assassins that are also supposed to, like, try and get the elixir, but they're also trying to kill each other. And it's super nuts. And it's also, the art is amazing. It's also really dark. But it reminds me a lot of um, the series Samurai Deeper Kyo and Berserk, which are also very kind of dark but beautifully drawn series and it's it's really it's it's a really good series but don't read it at night (laughs) okay (laughs) that's the that's the only thing i can say so yeah a lot of a lot of sadness happening this week but i'm I'm still feeling really good so yay just wait for that other shoe to drop that's all i'm saying man uh just beware there's always a third (laughs) shoe though mike Yeah. yeah i don't know what that means i just said i don't know I just we're just I was just gonna move past it and ask Nick how he's been and how what comics he's been reading. It's a good call. <laughs> yeah. 
Hey, uh, things things have been fine, other than the fact that, um, I mean, I guess I'm a little bit older now. Uh, it was my birthday yesterday, yay. Yeah, man, so happy birthday. Like, Felicidades! And I'm not bringing that up in terms of, like, let's, let's all congratulate me. I'm only doing it to further defend the fact that I want to complain about the weather again, and I feel <laughs> like me being older allows me to. Uh-huh. It's been snowing like fucking mad for the past four or five hours in Michigan. Literally, it's insane. I don't understand this. Whatever. Um, what the hell? Uh, what have I been up to? I've been playing a lot of Moonlighter, which is a really, really cool... Uh, I think it's for Switch. I know it's. I've been playing it on PC. Uh, yeah. Sort of a pixel art Legend of Zelda kind of game where um, you run a shop in a, you know, a typical RPG, JRPG village during the day, and you sell items, and then at night, you um, venture out to these dungeons on the outskirts of town where you try to collect items that you go, and then you sell them during the day in your shop. And it's all about economics, like, you have to try to figure out what's the perfect price point for a good, and when the people in the city come up to the items, they, like, you know, either make a smiley face or a frowning face, and so you have to sort of adjust all the prices to make more money, to get better gear, to get more items, to... Anyway, it's... We all know about feedback loops in game design. I'm sure everyone's super well-educated on that. Oh, yeah, I'm super well-versed super well in educated. that. I know, I was gonna I know. say, do you, do you get a business degree if you finish that game? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, yes. Yeah, it's 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 really fun. It's super cute. If you like pixel art, I'd recommend that you know you check it out. Um, in terms of what I've been reading, I just finally got my comics for the first time in a couple weeks yesterday. So I've just been kind of reading some older stuff that I haven't just I've been put off. Um, I picked up the first like eight issues of Ice Cream Man in a Comicsology sale. So I read the first issue of that last night. Um, that's written by Max W. Maxwell Prince, art by Martin Morazzo, colors by Chris O'Halloran. Um, both Prince and Morazzo previously worked together on IDW's The Electric Sublime about two years ago. Apart f- uh, When they've been apart, Prince is perhaps best known for One Week in the Library. Morazzo did Snowfall, I think with Joe Harris, maybe about three years ago. Both of those were from Image. Um, really interesting book. Like The beginning, it just kicks off in this way that's just super fascinating. You've got these kids waiting in a line to get ice cream with their parents, uh, except there's one kid who's by himself, and we follow him after he gets the ice cream, and we follow him home as the sun sets, and he approaches a house that does not appear to be that well lit. It's only added, the unsettling nature of this is only made even more apparent by the fact that he apparently doesn't eat the cone, clearly this kid's a monster, and just chucks it into his front yard. It's chilling. Like, if this book already wasn't frightening enough, it's like, what kind of sociopath are we dealing with? Like, what's going on here? Sure. Um, I feel like you're reading the script to us. Like, like not that I'm complaining, but yeah. that was very in-depth. No. It's interesting. It's super interesting, like, right off the bat. And I'll just give you a little bit more. I don't want to get too far, but, uh, like, nobody meets him at the door. The kid puts a clothespin over his nose before entering. Again, he's saying nothing throughout this whole thing. All the lights are off in the house. We can tell the mail has been piled up by the front door. And this all seems like business as usual to him. And throughout all of this, while we're getting nothing from the kid, the narrator is just talking at length about spiders and the poisons of spiders. And we realize the kid has a spider named Rupert. As you do. Very weird stuff. Very interesting. Sure. 
And then we cut to the other side of the town where some lady is at the police claiming a wolf man in the woods sucked the skin off of her cat. And for proof, she pulls the cat skeleton out of her purse. Oh, jeez. Okay. And slowly we see these two narratives on the opposite sides of town come together. And it's it's weird. It's jarring. It's it's very Twilight Zone. The narration is very much like Rod Serling Twilight Zone, if you've ever um, watched that. Um, mm-hmm. I guess you could also say it's sort of like Black Mirror, but I'd say more Twilight Zone. Um, so I'm hooked. I'm hooked. It's very weird. This weird ice cream man figure seems to bounce in and out of the issue. And from what I've heard, he continues to do this in other issues. It's just very subtly creepy. It's not like gory. It's not like shocking. It's just perpetually unnerving in a way that I guess Silent Hill games are known for. The other thing I read briefly that I'll go into is I read a couple stories. Yeah, out of Hellboy the Complete Short Stories Volume 1. I read Nature of the Beast and King Vold. Both have the exact same credits, which is Mignola wrote them and did the art. Dave Stewart did the colors. Pat Brousseau did the letters. So here's Pat Brousseau again after uh, working on Renee's thing. I mean, not my pick. Yeah, well, <laughs> your pick, Renee. It was your, oh, it was yeah. your yeah, read. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I would work with Pat Brousseau. Like... I'm not going to say no. <laughs> um, it, it, they were just really short, really enjoyable stories. And I, I will say, I think... They really bring forward one of my favorite elements of Hellboy, which is the fact that considering Hellboy being what he is, having been where he's been, having seen what he's seen, he's still always shocked when rumors and legends of certain fabled things turn out to be true. Like, he he can't believe it. Like, every time he's like, how is this thing a thing? And I'm like, look in the mirror. (laughs) Like, what are you? Um, Yeah. Uh, beyond that, just one other thing. The second story I absolutely love because Brutenholm, who's basically his adopted dad, sends him off on a quest to help one of his colleagues do research in Norway. And like, it's a moment where you truly know that Brutenholm is really his dad because the moment like that your your parent signs you up to assist family friends and things you really don't want to do, like that's when you know <laughs> yeah, you're dealing yeah, with yeah, a yeah. parent figure and he's like now of course i'm not saying you have to go and it's like yeah okay so and um, and hellboy goes right yeah exactly so just some great little short itty bitty hellboy stories which i realize cool. itty bitty hellboy is its own thing don't be confused um just just <laughs> <laughs> little enjoyable hellboy uh narratives which sometimes i think are the best ones honestly so gotcha but that's been me what about you mike uh, well, I, I've read a bunch of stuff. I started to catch up on just a backlog of books that I've been avoiding. I don't know why. Um, but I sat down and read Murder Falcon number three through six. Ooh. And th- this might be... Have you read this, David? Really good. Danny Warren Johnson is a beast. Um, yeah. Hey. Well, that's that's my whole thing. Like, I read this and my first line that I wrote down is, fuck yes to this book. Like, <sighs> I think this is the most fun I've had reading a comic in a really, really long time. Every issue just is amped up after the, like, one thing after another after another. The art is unbelievable. Like, I can't believe that Daniel Warren Johnson puts this out monthly. It makes no sense. Every single square, every inch and, like, centimeter of the paper is used to tell part of the story in a way like there's so much detail in this book this is daniel warren johnson writing in pencils with mike spicer on colors and russ wooten on letters and holy smokes i i can't 
sell this book enough. It's going to be eight issues, so I read three through six, and I'm waiting to read seven and eight together because I know this, like, things basically went from hell yeah cool to oh my god, this is the greatest story ever in issue five, I believe it was, where they introduce a new character, and oh my god, everything that I love about listening to heavy metal is reflected in this. You can tell that Daniel Warren Johnson loves the idea of the absurd, over-the-top, grand scale that some metal bands put into their like narrative of who they are. And as someone who listens to a lot of metal and is a big fan of that just funniness of how metal can be like he totally gets it and every single issue has been a reflection of that um there's been a pretty good story to like narrative going on with their when their main character um but on the whole like i can't believe how fantastic this book is like mike spicer by the way i just want to call out like he finds a way to make every single page of this book pop off or like like explode in your face with color like every page turn is is an explosion of color and it's satisfying from corner to corner of every page and i really want to also call out russ wooten his lettering deserves serious yeah. recognition I, I, russ wooten's one of my favorite letterers uh, it's probably him and, and, and clayton cowles and i just he does a really interesting thing with his lettering where most mm-hmm. of his his balloons are very circular whereas i think industry trend is to do more uh oblong kind of balloons and yeah, so yeah. Can, like the, it, it, he's got like a very signature kind of style to him it's really beautiful like I, he is he is just terrific i mean i was gonna say you should look at all of his work on um uh invincible um he was oh like, yeah he is just like oh he is like next level and he's like instantly recognizable if you know what to look for yeah, we're, we're a pretty big Invincible podcast as well. I think Renee and I, we've talked about that book nonstop when it was coming out. We have some deep love for that series on the whole. I'm just I'm starting to tear up thinking about it and <laughs> yeah. not lying. I'm not lying. Oh, Yeah, I mean, Russ Wooten's lettering is just, it's top notch. And I, like, it's rare that you really start to... I don't know. Like a lot of times, I think people aren't necessarily paying attention to lettering in books, um, and and that's understandable. It's one of those things that if it's done well, it's, like it's not seen. Um, but really, like page after page in this book, it's clear that like there's so much love and effort that went into making things look cool, like making the dialogue look as cool as the rest of the imagery that's happening on the page. And you really, I really, really hope he gets some recognition for this book because this by far might be one of his best like jobs beyond like anything like his invincible work really good uh i know his name he's been on a million other books as well but this one is just fantastic so i'm i'm savoring the last two issues of this because i really want to just have a like i'm just gonna blare behemoth or something in my apartment and just (laughs) read the last two issues of this it's gonna be it's gonna be a fantastic event for myself for me and i really feel bad for my cats and my fiance in my apartment because it's gonna be a time for them (laughs) uh but yeah, so let's uh, let's move on. Let's talk to com- let's talk about comics that are coming out this upcoming week, I guess, or in the near future. Comic books are dropping on April seventeenth, two thousand nineteen. I want to know what you guys are excited about. Let's start with Nick. Okay, uh, for me this week, it's got to be Gideon Falls number twelve. That's written by Jeff Lemire, drawn by Andrea Sorrentino, and colors by Dave Stewart. 
Um, it's always difficult when I pick this book because it is definitely the thing I'm most excited for, but it's always the most difficult thing to try to talk about. Um, even for people that are a little bit behind, uh, it's, it's always comes across as either, you know, just crazed rantings about something that even I don't fully understand, but I'll, I'll, I'll take a few seconds, uh, to, to take a crack at this. Um, so a few days ago I reread issues eight and nine and then read 11, uh, 10 and 11 for the first time. Uh, and while not to take away from the brilliance of the first two pair I listed, uh, 10 and 11 might be Andrea Sorrentino's finest work. And for anybody who's read his stuff, um, that's really saying something because, right? I mean, his Green Arrow work, um, his Wolverine work, uh, his other Marvel stuff, it's just, um, yeah, there's so many just amazing, amazing issues there. Um, that being said, I, I will sort of try to dance around the, uh, beat around the bushes here, but, uh... Please, um, I really uh, want to yeah. read this book, Nick. Yeah. Don't spoil yeah. it for me. <laughs> um, so, Ten finally had us flash back to the fall of 1886 in Gideon Falls, uh, where we had 12 men and women that ended up dead by Christmas, and we get to see some of the instigating events surrounding the Black Barn, which is one of the big ominous figures in the book. Uh, it's an absolutely amazing sequence. We have some really cool, like, parallel side-by-side sequences following the two main plots of this book, which are the Norton plot and the Father Quinn plot. Uh, Stuart gets the chance to flex his power-color combo of black and red, which everybody from Hellboy is already pretty familiar with. Right. And this book takes a turn towards the cosmic and the multidimensional. But anyone who knew that this book had links basically to Twin Peaks probably should have seen that coming. Um, the upcoming issue will take us back to 1886. The artwork in this book is absolutely insane. Uh, the work in 10 and 11 is just unbelievable. There's a two-page spread that is, I can't even, uh, wow. Um, yeah, you sent me a picture of this, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, that was something, to yeah, say the least. Yeah, yeah. Um, if you're not reading this book, get on this book. It's kind of weird. It's kind of out there. If you're into Twin Peaks, if you're into weird stuff, I, I guess that's it. If you're into weird stuff, uh, read this book. <laughs> gotcha. Uh, David, what about you? What are you excited for in the coming weeks or next week if if you have something? Well, uh, there's a lot of cool stuff coming out. Um, you know, totally. I'm, I'm excited to read uh, Angel uh, Number Zero by uh, my my pal Brian Edward Hill. Um, that was kind of cool that they kind of announced that book, dropped it like Beyonce. Um, I'm excited for um, Vita Ayala is taking over Xena uh, next week. Xena Warrior Prince. Yeah. Uh, we'll have uh, another issue of Peter Cannon Thunderbolt, uh, where uh, Peter Cannon kind of falls into more of like the indie comics universe which that's 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 a very cool way to 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 go about doing it um matt rosenberg on uncanny x-men i've really been digging um because he's gotten he's taken the series to the point where you know and i was a little skeptical initially uh going in with the relaunch but it's so unpredictable now um you you have no idea which direction it's going to go so i like you know sort of uh, uh you know it being um being on my toes a little bit and also, uh, Chip Zdarsky's Spider-Man life story. Um, I, I saw the preview for issue two uh, earlier in the week, and mm-hmm. I feel like I feel like as the series goes on, the more excited I'm going to be. Um, I like that sort of alt universe kind of stuff. That's I, I've always kind of wanted to write something in that vein, 
And so seeing uh, Tony Stark and Captain America on opposite sides of, of, of a worsening Vietnam War and Peter Parker being in the middle of it, that's kind of cool. I'm like, I'm, I'm really into that. Um, I, uh, I actually got a sneak, uh, a sneak look over at uh, Batman 69 uh, that's coming out this week. And uh, cool. that's it's really good. Um, I'm, I'm like it like Tom. It, I, Tom is really like sticking the landing with this nightmares arc. Um, I think it's going to read really cool in trade. Um, it's sort of like I said earlier, kind of a jam band. Um, yeah. I, I see uh, also assassination number two is coming out and I, I, you know, I should have mentioned that when we were talking about books I was reading before, because I read the first issue of that and I love it. Um, you think, you know, Erica Henderson from squirrel girl, you mm-hmm. don't know her at all. Um, <laughs> seeing, seeing kind of the range that she brings to this and that Kyle Starks is just so damn funny with it. Um, right. It, like that is probably one of the, 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 the most excited books or excited I am about books coming out from image um next week um but yeah it looks like it looks like a really solid uh week for comics so i'm I'm really excited to check it all out totally i mean i haven't i was i grabbed the first issue of uh assassination i just haven't read it yet i've heard it's re- it's really re- good things um it's it's i think i think it, because erica henderson's on it like people have a certain expectation and sure right, like the spin that she puts on this book is so terrific and it sells this kind of tongue-in-cheek script so well um yeah it's 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 really terrific and probably one of my favorite skybound things to come out since um probably since outer darkness oh, outer darkness oh don't get me started on that book yeah, um don't, don't i i love it i love it too book. much um renee what about you what are you excited for this upcoming week um you know things uh, oh, okay. Cool. I'll <laughs> just, just move on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry, I got I got distracted because I was like, oh, because I heard Zdarsky's Spider Man book, and then everything else went out the window. Um, I see. Because he just did um, spectacular Spider Man not too long ago, right? Um, right. So that'll be good. So now I'm excited for that. But um, the other thing I'm excited for is just the new chapter of One Piece uh, by Eiichiro Oda, which. You know, I don't think I talk. I try not to talk about One Piece a lot on the podcast because it's we're we're almost at a thousand chapters. Yeah, could you give us you just know? a brief summary? I was say this is the last right. one, right, Renee? <laughs> like they're done now. This is it. Well, I mean, we've still got a while before a thousand. We're only at nine thirty nine. <laughs> oh, know? okay, okay. God. But I mean, it's a great series. It's about pirates. They're really bad at being pirates, but mm-hmm. you're having a good time. It's great. And this arc that we're in right now, it's the Wano Country arc, is one that like people have been waiting for a while. I think the only other arc that was kind of like people were really waiting for was uh, the Fish Island arc, which again, if you're in if you're in the fandom, you know you're like, oh yeah, can't wait for that to happen. But uh-huh. Wano's getting nuts. It's exciting. We're coming to the we're getting close to the end game we're getting to the beginning of the end game right shit's about to go down (laughs) yeah you know i'll just catch up on those thousand chapters um real quick (laughs) (laughs) but Uh, you you just but pay pay 25 dollars a year and all of one piece can be yours Hey, I'm dude. I'm already there. I'm doing that. I'm reading Assassination Classroom right now. Got caught up on My Hero Academia. I'm in it. I'm reading these manga. I just, I One Piece is a very, it's like a, it's a mountain. And I know that if I start on it, I won't be able to stop. So I want to catch up on other things before I get too deep into the One Piece world. 
Oddly enough, they climb a mountain that has a river that goes over it. So perfect. <laughs> go cash your check, Renee. Go. Yeah. <laughs> I'm um, sure it's in the mail. <laughs> I don't know what that means. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, so for me this week, I'm excited for Age of X-Men Next Gen number three because there's so many X-Men books coming out. How could I not talk about them? I am the go-to person when it comes to all things X-Men. So I, I'm really liking this series that Ed Brisson is writing with Marcus Toe on, on art. It's easily my favorite of the Age of X-Men like universe thing that's happening right now. Um, I The ongoing joke of the 616 universe, like the universe before this Age of X-Men started being Glob Herman's fan fiction. Like there's a character <laughs> and he's writing fan fiction and it's the old 616 universe. Uh, this will forever be one of my favorite jokes and it will, my favorite thing about this whole event. Um, but I'm really liking this series. I love these characters. They're all the teenage X-Men that go to high school. Um, I love that side of x-men in general and so to actually get a book that's just focused on those characters in that life is like my favorite thing in the world the x-men writing team they seem to get that people like me want that kind of stuff and i'm glad that they're addressing it and they're giving us what we want which is what all fans want right so i'm, I'm just a big fan of this age of x-men event i think it's so much fun and they know where the pitfalls are and they so they're they've just been completely avoiding them and i appreciate it a lot For our show this week, we have a very special guest. As we said in the first half, David Peppos, the writer and creator of Spencer and Locke, and the new volume of Spencer and Locke, Spencer and Locke 2, that is coming out very, very soon. David, could you tell us a little bit about what people can expect from Spencer and Locke 2 if they've read the first volume? Yeah, well, uh, you know, if, if, if you're unfamiliar with the original Spencer and Locke, our easy uh, elevator pitch is, what if Calvin and Hobbes grew up in Sin City? It's uh, about hard-boiled Detective Locke and his partner, who happens to be a seven-foot-tall imaginary talking panther named Spencer. Uh, for our sequel, however, we're taking the fables approach. Uh, no comic strip is safe. We're doing hard-boiled Calvin and Hobbes versus hardcore Beetle Bailey. Uh, we're going to have uh, our new villain, Roach Riley. He's kind of like if Heath Ledger's Joker had survived the events of the Deer Hunter. And uh, they're going to sort of be on a, on a, on a collision course, uh, a big head-to-head, as it were. Um, so we're really excited. Uh, the first issue of Spencer and Locke 2 drops uh, May 1st, uh, the Wednesday before Free Comic Book Day. And um, yeah, this is, you know, our sequel, it's, it's bigger and better than ever. And, uh, I, you know, I, it's been a long time in the making. So I'm, I'm really excited for uh, readers to get to see what we've been cooking up all this time. Yeah, I mean, you were super gracious enough to let us read that issue before it came out, and I will say, going from, like, I read Volume 1 leading into the first issue of Volume 2, and I can tell the quality just, like, went up a hundred times over, like, honestly, the, the, the series feels, like, so much better than the first one, and the first one was good, I enjoyed yeah. it. But like the second one, holy cow, you guys have seriously knocked it out of the park with that first issue. I feel like we really – I think we all leveled up a lot over the course of our first volume. And on top of that, we, we just got to know each other. I mean the the great thing about Spencer and Locke too is uh, the whole band is back. Um, you know, My uh, artist and co-creator, Jorge Santiago Jr., our colorist, Jason Smith, our letterer, Colin Bell, and our variant cover artists, uh, Mon House and Joe Mulvey, they're all back. And um, you know – the the core creative team uh, each were nominated for a, a Ringo Award for our work in the first volume last year, 
And um, seeing how well we've kind of gelled together uh, since our time in the trenches last time, um, it certainly made the production uh, of volume two a hundred times easier than the first volume. And I really think that the bar of quality, it, it really has uh, has gone up. I mean, I can't say enough great things about uh, Jorge's art in this book. Um, yeah. It's really like, um, you know, he – you know, because he's so comfortable with the characters now, there's so much he can do. And uh, we get to kind of throw in a few different genres into the mix, uh, similar to like what we did in our first volume, where we had a, a nice little sci-fi interlude. Um, now we're getting to sort of inject bits of, you know, from from war comics or from horror or, um, you know, even um, a, a little bit of an unexpected uh, 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 superhero uh, nod in the middle of this. Uh, it's, mm-hmm. gonna be, it's, it's, you know, Jorge's potential is, uh, I think, I think limitless. And, uh, so seeing him really kind of tear out on this book, it inspires me to bring my a game and it expired. It inspires me to kind of throw everything in the kitchen sink at him because I know I'll knock it out of the park. Totally. I, I, I noticed the dramatic like change in the art going from volume one to volume two and that Jorge's art just is phenomenally better like Mm -hmm. and i'm not again not trying to insult the previous volume but like you can tell there was a ton of growth um between volumes one and volume two like it's 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 incredible yeah i i think you know he and i you know we we talk constantly um you know in terms of just how we build up a page i mean we'll you know we could have like a page long email just talking about panel layouts uh because we're both very verbose and cerebral uh in in our in our creative process and, um, but honestly, like, you know, now Jorge kind of knows what I'm about and what I dig and I know what he likes and what he, you know, enjoys doing. And so it's been a really cool partnership and, and watching it grow and evolve has been, uh, really thrilling for me. Uh, and, you know, just, uh, being able to say, okay, I know that Jorge really likes horror. Let's see what he does with a bunch of, uh, killer Nazi mutant snowmen example uh, uh that's that's that'll be a, a a nice hook for our third issue that's uh, in pre-orders right now and uh yeah he just uh no i mean the guy the guy is just an artist's artist and uh, i can't say enough good things about him uh, speaking of you bringing up the the members of your your creative team and whatnot i have to i have to wonder uh, being someone who always kind of is curious about the nuts and bolts and looking under the hood of things um how did your um, what was like sort of the inception of your creative team? How did that come to be? I know that at like image, you have to show up with everybody on board. Like they're not going to assign you anybody. You're not going to be given an editor or recommended an artist. Um, how did this process work with action lab? Well, I'm glad you mentioned the image model. Cause that, that I, I say that it's uh, very similar to the image model in that regard. Okay. You know, you have to come in with your own team already in place. And so I um, the way that my team came together, um, Colin Bell, our letter was actually the first person on board. Um, I've known Colin for years. Uh, he used to freelance for me at Newsarama on the reviews team uh, before he became a uh, fancy and schmancy professional letter. And so I uh, when I had written the first issue script and treatment for Spencer and Locke and I thought maybe I would try to put it together, you know, as an actual pitch to shop around, which was kind of like a forbidden, unreal thought for me at the time. Um, Colin was the letterer I knew. And so I said, hey, buddy, like, if I did this, would you, you know, 
letter it for me. And I think he probably was like, this isn't going to happen. Sure, why not? Uh, so, <laughs> uh, Jorge was the next member of the team. Um, you know, and, and of course, finding the right artist is, is, is crucial. It's, it's really the, the, the thing that will make or break your book. Um, and so I, I looked at Justin Jordan and the strange town of Luther Strode as kind of my blueprint for the, the launch of this book. Um, it was Justin's breakout book. It you know, kickstarted the rest of his career. And um, Justin's a very smart guy. He's got a lot of great ideas. But I think the smartest thing that he did uh, it, for Luther Strode was he brought on Trad Moore. Because um, Trad is such just a, a next level artist that you could write anything. And as Trad's drawing it, you know, people are going to look at it. So right. yeah. I, I, I thought, uh, where is the next Trad Moore going to come from? And, uh, you know, I, so I looked at the art schools, um, you know, Trad is a, is a graduate of the Savannah College of Art and Design. So I, I looked there. Um, I looked at RISD, SVA, the Kubert School, anybody who had a portfolio from an art school that talked about comics or sequential art, I looked them up. And, um, you know, I emailed a lot of people, but um, Jorge uh, really kind of stuck out at me quickly um, because he, uh, you know, he had that sort of energy and fluidity to his, his artwork, you know, particularly with the action sequences. But he also had a very expressive core to it all, very emotional, um, you know. And uh, so, you know, it, it really worked out nicely because he and I have similar sensibilities in that regard um, that we love, especially having these very kind of tearjerker, heartbreaking uh, moments in our scripts. Uh, yeah. So that's something that he and I kind of clicked on very early on, and that kind of pushed me to, you know, include more of that stuff in 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 the series. Um, Jason Smith was kind of the final piece of the puzzle. Uh, it was really tough finding the, the 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 right colorist, and you know, people talk about, oh, how can I find the right artist? And you know, with enough numbers, you can do that. You know, if you reach out to enough people, you you can find a good artist for your book, but finding the right colorist is something that I don't think people talk about a lot. Um, a, a good colorist can elevate any art. Um, a bad colorist can tank anything. Um, and we went through uh, a couple of different colorists before we, we, we found Jason. Um, our first colorist was very nice, but th their style did not fit Jorge's art. It wasn't, a, it was, it, it, it was a little too fluorescent. Um, you know, it, it didn't quite work for his style. And then we had another colorist, um, uh, who, uh, took our money and vanished. Uh, that was not, Oh geez. That's usually a strike against the person. I mean, and this, yeah. was, this yeah. was somebody who was a, who was a professional who should have known better. Um, and uh, and then finally, kind of out of desperation, I posted on Facebook one day saying, hey, I'm looking for a colorist. And um, Taylor Esposito, a uh, letter Taylor Esposito, um, you know, was nice enough to say, hey, have you uh, met my buddy Jason Smith? He does work over at Hi-Fi. And um, the moment that Jason's colors were on Jorge's inks, um, I knew I not only knew that this was going to be a book, uh, I knew that it was going to be a book that people were going to notice. Um, I, I uh, it, the first six pages of uh, Spencer and Locke volume one, that's exactly what we pitched to action. Lab. There are no changes whatsoever. Um, what you see is what they saw. And uh, it was great because I emailed action lab. Um, I remember I'd emailed them after work one day, uh, my work computer 
uh, I used to work at CBS in their publicity and PR department. They, um, uh, I sent out my pitch because they had Adobe Acrobat on my work computers and I didn't have it at home. <laughs> and so I remember I, I was after work, I was staying after work and I was catching up on some paperwork and I had sent out this pitch. And then about 20 minutes later, I got an email from Dave Dwanch, um, who, who at the time was, was president of, at Action Lab. And he said, how soon could you get this book done? And that was, I felt like a chill run down my spine. Oh yeah, dude. I was like, oh, I got to put my money where my mouth is. Um, this, this book is actually going to be a thing. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I'll, I'll always, uh, 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 love Dave Twanch for, for pulling us out of the slush pile. But, um, you know, similar to the image model, you know, actually they, they have submissions editors and they have sort of production editors just to make sure that, you know, your, your colors are in the right range or sort of to give it one quick read through to make sure that, you know, you don't have any typos. You're not dropping any sort of like, you know, horrible words in it. Um, but, uh, you know, the actual production is on us. Um, I sort of in, in that regard kind of served as the editor on the book as well as the writer. And, um, you know, I, I always say that uh, ten years as uh, uh, being a reviewer, and you know nine months uh, working in editorial, uh, that was all like barely enough to get me across the finish line. Uh, <laughs> it was, I, I, you know, I, 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 what I thought I knew was just like a drop in the bucket. Um, you can only pick up so much theory before it gets tested when you put it into practice, and. Right. Um, I, you know, I do think being a reviewer is uh, is 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 one of the main reasons why the book, uh, I think, worked as well as it did, is because I've been able to articulate what I do and don't like in a comic, and why, and so that way I can kind of work with my team, uh, particularly sort of in the in the early stages, things like thumbnails or you know uh, or initial palettes, and be able to say, hey, this thing looks a little wonky. What if we tried it like this? Um, and you know, that's also just the 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 the, the plus side of being uh, on a creator-owned book is that you're not pressured to do double shipping, um, and so you have the time to kind of finesse out you know any bugs and really able to kind of polish the work until it feels uh, you know it, it ready for prime time. So yeah, I guess when you're when you're working with uh, action lab and stuff where when you were pitching this were, were you pitching it as like a multi-arc story or was this supposed to be like a one and done or i mean it sounds to me like you've got a million billion ideas in your head about this series which is awesome to hear um i think we talked a little bit before the show and, and during the break but um like what was were you pitching this as a multi-arc story or were you just going to see if volume one did well maybe we could do another volume so it, it was a little column a and a little column b when i when i spoke with action lab um you know i i I was a little conservative about it because I, I knew that by virtue of this high concept, you know, I mean, there are no comic strips more beloved than Calvin and Hobbes. And for good reason, because Bill Watterson is a genius and he's a pioneer and he's a trailblazer. And he brought so much to, um, that, you know, to, to comics as a medium, not just newspaper comics, but comics in general. Mm -hmm. And I, I thought, well, this is a high concept that is definitely going to get attention. I don't know what kind of attention it's going to get. Um, you know, I don't know if it's if it's the good kind or the bad kind, um, but people will definitely look to see if we stick the landing. And so I thought, well, let's 
start with a first arc just to see if there's an audience for it to make sure I don't get thrown in comic book jail. Um, mm-hmm. Because I thought, to, you know, and part of the reason why we threw so much in the first volume was I said, I don't know if I'm going to get to do another comic after this. I might be the, <laughs> you know, I might be the pariah who ruined Calvin and Hobbes, um, you know, for the rest of my career. So I, I wanted to throw everything in the kitchen sink, sort of check off my bucket list as best as I could and, and try to give the rest of my team like a solid portfolio in case they, you know, they, their reputations were forever tarnished for dealing with me. And uh, I, I, um, but I did tell Action Lab, I said, you know, if you like this and this does have an audience, I've got some more ideas in my back pocket. Um, and so this idea of taking the fables approach, uh, with, uh, Roach Riley, that has always been part of the plan. Um, that's been part of the plan since before I brought Jorge on board. Um, gotcha. you know, it, it, it was, it, it's a little, it was a little sleight of hand and I had to like bite my tongue every time that I, uh, you know, uh, I did an interview for the first volume to, to not <laughs> fill the beans to say, this is just the tip of the iceberg guys. Um, uh, you know, it, it, I feel like I used to read the comic section of the newspaper as a kid, uh, the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. And I uh, I remember, you know, all these different characters, all these strips lived on the same page. So why wouldn't they live in the same universe? And taking that fables approach really, um, you know, it, it gives us so many different storytelling avenues um, and, and opportunities. Anytime you need a, a particular archetype, there's probably a comic strip that fits it. Um, and so that was kind of a, you know, a cool thing to have in, in, in the back pocket. And, you know, while running parallel with, you know, I didn't want to keep the characters of Spencer and Locke too static. Um, we wanted to make sure that each story had its own kind of consequences and, and fallout and, and change and growth um, uh, for these two characters. And uh, that's something that's been really exciting to explore with Volume 2 as well, is just to, you know, I think comics often get a bad rap as the illusion of change. You know, you sort of have to put the toys back in the toy box in such a way for the next person to to take it over. And Mm -hmm. create your own, you don't have to do that. Um, And so I think, you know, part of the appeal of a book like Spencer and Locke is people who have those warm feelings about Calvin and Hobbes and, you know, think – Oh, what would they look like as adults? Well, you know, you get to keep building on that, and you keep you get to keep saying, "Well, if this is true and this happened, then what's going to happen next?" Um, and so it's been it's a really been a cool way, I think, to you know keep the characters fresh, both as a, a creator and as a reader. It's that's kind of awesome because you actually I guess you kind of just answered one of my questions because I was like, oh. What kind of comics did you read, like in the comic strips? Or I, I always called them funnies. I don't know if other people did. Yeah. Um, I was like, because like you know we see Beetle Bailey, and I was like, oh, I wonder if like you know you'll jump across to other ones like Zitz, or I know I read Foxtrot and Blondie or Family Circus. You know, I was, but you kind of said you're like you, anything's open. So I mean, that's exciting. Just hearing that as a yeah as a reader. I think you know it's really cool. Like I you know. Our, of course, you know, Roach Riley is, you know, our big villain, our, our, our analog of Mort Walker's Beetle Bailey. But we've got a ton of different sort of Easter eggs and analogs and parodies and riffs of a, a ton of different characters in this book. Um, the ones that I can I can say publicly, you know, I mean, because they some of them have been in our, our previews already. Um, you know, we have uh, we have Melinda Mercury, who is kind of our uh, our our riff on Dale Messick's Brenda Starr. 
Um, you know, she's Locke's new love interest. And I kind of thought it would be a cool idea. You know, who would, who would be the worst person in the world for a cop to date? Um, <laughs> uh, and, and, you know, she'll, she'll play kind of a big role in the Roach Riley investigation, um, you know, moving forward. Uh, we've got, um, you know, riffs on Hagger the Horrible, on the Family Circus, on Marmaduke, on uh, uh, we, uh, we uh, shove a parody of, uh, uh, of uh, uh, Dilbert. Uh, we shove his head in a toilet. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's kind of fun. Um, you know, it, it, it's definitely the sort of thing that will reward eagle-eyed readers. Um, you know, Jorge already loves throwing Easter eggs in the backgrounds of things uh, for, you know, people can see in volume one that he gave us all stripper names on, on one page. Um, and uh, so seeing what he does with all these kind of different cameo characters, um, that's, that's, that's really cool. And I think it, it, it kind of lends a rereadability uh, to, to, to volume two. I will say though, but, but, you know, uh, uh, you know, because I want people to pre-order volume two, because I desperately want to do a volume three. Um, there are a couple big strips that I've kind of held in the back pocket. Um, you know, I, I, uh, I really want to do a volume three badly. And, um, you know, if you think Beetle Bailey is big, um, we haven't even begun to climb the mountain yet. And, uh, so I, I, that, consider that uh, incentive for, uh, for listeners of this to call your comic shop now and add Spencer and Locke 2 to your pull list. Oh, yeah. There's, there's only been like a handful of times where I've felt that something like, you know, just hit a niche that I wanted so directly that I felt almost like, you know, attacked. targeted. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> attacked. I was like, that's, I didn't know that that was a thing that I was into, but, but now looking at it, I'm so into it. It's like there's got to be cameras somewhere. Renee, I've told you a million times before, if you put on the tinfoil hat when you go to sleep, these things will stop happening. But at the same time, I wanted... I'm glad Spencer and Locke happened, so... Thank you. I mean, I'm very excited. and I'm trying to remain very calm. Which <laughs> these guys will attest is very hard for me to do. Yes, yes. <laughs> Uh, David, I was wondering if if it would be possible for you to also maybe discuss a little bit about your um, other upcoming series, Going to the Chapel, a little bit. Uh, I couldn't help but notice that this is also coming out from Action Lab, and I was kind of wondering, after your first series came out and things went really well with them, was it sort of like they came to you and they're like, do you have anything else? Or did you say, you know, if you liked this, I've got something else I'm considering? Or if if you're able or willing, you know, would you be able to get into that a bit? Sure. Well, you know, the the great thing about Action Lab is um, they they're not a publisher that gets in their own heads. Um, they don't really put on any airs. They it's the, and, and I give them a lot of credit. They are not a publisher that, you know, they're thinking, Oh man, is this, is this going to be sellable? They, they work with a lot of sort of, you know, up and coming, you know, uh, new talent. And so they, their thought is, does this look cool? Like, does this look like something that like we would enjoy and that would be fun? I, I can't tell you how many places I pitched Spencer and Locke to, just as an example. And I'll tell you that a, a top five publisher told me to my face, and I take this as a badge of honor. They said, "This is the best pitch we'll never publish." Uh, huh? You know, I get it. Like, 
like, you know, it's very combustible, you know, uh, uh, material, both in terms of doing a parody of the most beloved comic strip of all time. And, you know, also dealing with things like, you know, uh, mental illness and childhood trauma and PTSD, and, um, you know, Action Lab didn't hesitate. And that was, you know, I, I, it, there's something to be said for working with a publisher that's enthusiastic about you and your work. Um, and, you know, it's, it's funny because, uh, you know, going to the chapel was a, a very similar situation that uh, so many, you know, I, 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 I that was that, that was a book that I fought really hard for. And I can't tell you how many people, when I would explain the the storyline, um, which is is uh, Die Hard at a wedding, um, they said that sounds awesome. We don't know how to sell this. And Action Lab, to their credit, I showed them that pitch, and they said, "Let's do it." Um, we actually were officially greenlit C two E two of last year, uh, the first the first night of C two E two. Um, I got the uh, the uh, official approval email uh, when I got off the plane to Chicago, nice. and um, so you know a, a, a little a, a, about a year uh, about a year later, uh, the fact that the book is is been announced and is almost finished production, it's really exciting. Um, you know, I, I think um, going to the chapel is the story of kind of the world's worst wedding, and that was before the bank robbers showed up. Um, it's uh it, <laughs> it took a second for my brain to yeah. calculate what you just said thank you <laughs> sort of uh you know i i say if it's it's uh what if uh the bluth family from arrested development got caught in a bank robbery that happened to be set during a wedding um that's very much kind of the, made, the, a um, made, made a huge mistake made a huge mistake it's the story of uh, a wedding that's taken over by a gang of Elvis-themed bank robbers, the Bad Elvis Gang. And uh, <laughs> the bride, at, at the center of everything, uh, realizes that uh, she's got to play both sides if she wants to get everybody out in one piece. Um, this is a, you know, it's a story about, um, about love and commitment and cold feet. And what exactly does it take for you to take that leap to say till death do us part um in a lot of ways um going to the chapel was kind of my way of trying to stretch my muscles as a writer but also a way for me to put my money where my mouth is um i i uh, by virtue of the structure of of spencer and Locke and the themes we were dealing with um our first volume uh we didn't have as much representation as i would have liked um because uh by virtue of the setting and the themes, the representation would have been bad representation. It would have veered into stereotype, which is not what we wanted. And while we're able to, we're able to correct that a little bit more with our supporting cast of volume two, I wanted to have a, a, a diverse cast and I wanted to make sure, you know, it, it, in this case, the idea of having a, 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 a female lead was really uh, important to me. Um, the idea of having a bride who is dealing with cold feet, I think is something we don't really see a lot of in popular culture. You know, we see, oh, it's the dude who's, you know, struggling. Uh, you know, the fact that we have uh, two uh, uh, men of color, you know, as our romantic interests. I, I, I feel like uh, I wrote this before, you know, uh, Crazy Rich Asians came out. But, you know, before that movie came out, I thought, you know, we don't often get to see like like a, a, a sexy heartthrob Asian male romantic lead in, in popular culture. Uh, so that was something I really wanted to do with uh, Tom, the ringleader of the bad Elvis gang. Um, 
And, uh, you know, but we've got, you know, it, it's a big sprawling cast. I wanted to see what I could do with as many characters as I could throw in. So I think we have something like 15 or 16 people in the cast and we get to check in on them at, at some point or another in every single issue. Um, it's kind of cool. It's a little claustrophobic also because most of the, the book is, uh, is set in a singular location. Uh, it's in the, uh, in the chapel itself. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's been really cool. And, uh, working with my artist, Gavin Guidry, um, you know, he's really terrific. Uh, he's kind of in that, uh, space between uh, a Chris Somney and a Jamie McKelvey. Um, you know, he's really going to blow up big, I think. And so I'm really excited for this to be his direct market debut. Um, Liz Kramer, this is also her direct market debut. She's the uh, creator of the webcomic threader. Um, I think she's going to be the next Laura Martin. Um, she was showing me just preliminary work um, on her uh, on the third issue uh, right now, and it is just beautiful. And then uh, we have veteran letterer Ariana Maher, uh, fresh from uh, her work on James Bond 007, um, uh, Six Million Dollar Man over at Dynamite. I know she's. I believe she's doing some work over at TKO uh, Studios, and she's just terrific um, and sort of helping kind of get similar to what we were talking about with Russ Wooten earlier. Um, Ariane is the reason why all of our one-liners kind of connect. Um, she's got a real nice bounce to her lettering. And um, yeah, and then we're working with a murderer's row of, uh, of cover artists on this book. Um, uh, I, I can't spoil too many of them right now, but I can say, that, you know, Lisa Sterl is doing uh, a, a cover for our first issue, as well as uh, Mon House, who's joining us from Spencer and Locke. He's going to be doing a series of variants for this series as well. And then, uh, of course, our interior artist, Gavin Guidry, who will be doing covers as well. But, uh, we've got a ton of really awesome names that we're going to hold in our back pocket until uh, uh, once the book is in pre-orders. But uh, I, I, I had a couple covers hit my inbox just this week, and uh, a third one that is uh, uh, the preliminary sketches, uh, final is soon to come. And boy, they are—they're really terrific. And um, you know, the, the 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 women who are drawing these covers, they are just really spectacular. And so I, I I'm I'm excited to be to be working with them uh, before they they blow up so big that I can't work with them anymore. <laughs> <laughs> just a quick uh, question. Oh, yeah. good, Renee. Did you listen to Chapel of Love at all while writing this? Yeah, um, for sure. Uh, I. I uh, Actually, so um, I, I actually had to pay to use the rights for the lyrics um, uh, for, 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 the, for the series. Um, we, we have our preview pages online, but we actually, I said it, uh, our, our, our very opening scene is kind of a, a quick montage between uh, Emily, our bride, and uh, Tom and the rest of the Bad Elvis gang. Uh, it's sort of cutting back and forth between them, uh, you know, as the wedding is starting to, to, to kick up. And as these bank robbers are about to, to walk into this church, and we've got the lyrics to going to the chapel playing in the background. Um, yeah, I think there's something very iconic about the song. But there's also, if you listen to the lyrics, there's something a little haunting about it. Um, things like, you know, uh, we'll never be lonely anymore. Um, mm -hmm. You know, or things that are a little ominous, you know. Um, you know, uh, I'll be his and he'll be mine. Um, like it's, uh, the song felt very loaded to me. And so, um, you know, it just, it really, it, it kind of worked out in terms of the title and in terms of the themes. And, um, 
So, uh, you know, it was, it was very kind of the uh, rights holders of the song to, to, to let us use them um, uh, in, this, in this series. And uh, yeah, uh, but yes, I, de- I definitely listened to it. Uh, uh, and, and a bunch of other sort of old, you know, kind of, you know, uh, 50s and 60s songs, things like uh, The Night Has a Thousand Eyes, um, you know, just to kind of get into that sort of kind of retro chic vibe um uh for this for this kind of action-packed rom-com i I gotta say i i feel like uh, both of these series are just things that are just right up my alley so i I get i feel almost attacked but in a good way well (laughs) you know it's 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 you know, again, I'm. I thank you for not wearing the tinfoil hat, so I can kind of <laughs> <get> important. <laughs> He'll continue to keep projecting these thoughts directly into your yeah, brain. Yes. Please pre-order my book. No, the, the, the thing transmissions is that, won't cease. Yeah, I, I hearing you say that is particularly encouraging for me because part of the reason why I pursued uh, going to the chapel was I felt like rom coms get a bad rap. I think there's uh, a lot of preconceived notions of what what kind of stories rom-coms can tell, but also um, who is allowed to consume them. Um, you know, I think a lot of uh, uh, of guys, especially, they're like, oh, no, that's like, you know, only women can can can, uh, you know, watch rom-coms. And I'm like, no, that's ridiculous. Like, uh, there's there's so many cool different stories that you can tell with sort of that romantic, uh, you know, uh, uh that romantic kind of foundation. I'm just off the top of my head. I'm thinking, you know, you can take a sci-fi bet like about time or eternal sunshine of the spotless mind, or you can take kind of that, uh, that uh, sort of tragic approach, like 500 days of summer. Um, I feel like even, you know, um, uh, a, a movie like baby driver, um, you know, kind of has that sort of solid romantic core to this kind of fast and the furious Italian job kind of action to it. And, um, so I wanted to, 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 to write something that I thought could bring everybody to the table. I want to always try to build as wide a consensus as possible with my books. And um, I feel like rom-coms are like kind of an underserved market in the direct market these days. And um, you know, the coolest thing that I've been told about the book so far, we, we had some convention-exclusive variants um, in uh, – uh, at C2E2, and somebody said that it felt like 90s Julia Roberts starring in 90s Quentin Tarantino. And I will take that. I will I, I will take that as a huge compliment um, because, yeah, I think, you know, I, I, uh, I, I feel like there's something very human to this story about commitment and about, like, super dysfunctional families and about, like, you know it being very difficult to, 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 to lay down some sort of painful truths, but also just like, you know, figuring out like who are the people that really love you and who are the people that, you know, will kind of stand up and do anything for you. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of, you know, a very real, but kind of messy, but kind of, uh, I think very, um, you know, just really compelling, um, themes and, I uh, I laugh because I came up with the story. I was the best man at uh, my oldest friend's wedding, and the bachelor party that I planned was cursed. I don't know, like everything everything went wrong. Um, I good everything. 
terribly wrong. I, I uh, <laughs> it, 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 like the Airbnb was trashed, and like a bunch of people, like somebody, a couple people bailed at the last second because they decided they didn't want to pay. Um, like I, I rented some inflatable, uh, an inflatable pseudo- sumo set um, for backyard wrestling. Backyard wasn't big enough, um, so they the, the the company just left like a sad game of cornhole instead. Um, and, uh, I actually wound up getting hospitalized two days before the, the thing I, I got hit with a kidney stone. So I actually not attend the bachelor party that I planned, um, cause I could not fly cross country. Um, I was not cleared medically to do so. And I remember thinking to myself in this haze of Percocet, um, <laughs> I, I, I said, well, thank God it didn't happen during the wedding. And then I thought to myself, but what if it did? <laughs> Are you saying there's going to be a sad game of cornhole in like issue three or? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I just thought I was like, what's the worst thing that could happen during a wedding? And I thought at first um, I thought, you know, what if the, 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 the bride's dad hired a bunch of leg breakers to take out the groom before, you know, he walked his, his only daughter down the aisle. And then I thought, no, what if she just wasn't ready for it? And that kind of really became the core of going to the chapel. Um, is sort of, you know, while all this kind of crazy, wild Murphy's Law stuff is going on with this increasingly, like, bizarre hostage situation, uh, kind of like a dog day afternoon in, in, in a way, Um you have this conflicted bride who's just trying to figure out what the hell am I going to do with the rest of my life? And um, I think that's something that people can relate to. I, I feel like there are some people who, you know, who have married their childhood sweethearts um, and lived happily ever after. And, you know, those people like good on them. Um, that wasn't the case with me. Um, you know, I, 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 uh, you know, while I had a, a great and wonderful relationship with my, uh, with my college girlfriend, I, you know, we're, we're not together anymore. Um, you know, and women I've dated since then, we are not together anymore. Um, and so there's a lot of twists and turns when it comes to love. Um, and, uh, seeing that alongside just some like really fun action that ties into the, the really robust imagery of, of a wedding, um, there was a lot of cool stuff to, to, to tap into. And I, I can say, you know, we've got, I, I've read the, the, the whole series. Um, you know, we've got finished art and finished lettering. We're just wrapping up in our colors right now. And I'm really happy with how it turned out. I think um, this series uh, as a whole, it has a lot of the same sense of humor as Spencer and Locke, uh, but perhaps not the same kind of bleak tone. Uh and I think, um, you know, I, I think it's a it's it's a love story. So I think I think at, at the end of the day, anybody can come in um, and uh, I, I think find something to enjoy in this book. Cool. I, a lot of this uh, has me now worried because I'm getting married later this year. And now all I can think about is, oh, no, everything's going to go wrong. Um, well, I thought you were going to say like, <laughs> oh, no, there's just going to eventually be a sad game of cornhole. <laughs> <laughs> Make sure, make sure that your 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 fiance doesn't have any sort of bank robbers, uh, you know, uh, 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 waiting to take over the wedding. Um, but uh, you know, anybody I'll who shows up this mask, tell them like, sorry, you're not allowed in. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's you know, it's uh, 
you know, sounds I, like a I, pretty simple checklist. Yeah. Uh, pretty, yeah. No, no Elvises at your wedding. Gotcha. I'll make sure to put that at the top of the list of requirements. But you know, um, we are running out of virtual tape. I don't want to take up the rest of your day with this because we could probably talk to you for the rest of the day if we really wanted to. Um, but I realize we've all got things to do for the rest of this afternoon. I mean, Game of Thrones is happening tonight, so I want to get to that. I got to get my whole ritual prepared. So, uh, David, where can people find you on the internet? Where can they find your comics? Sure. Well, you can follow me on Twitter. It's just PeposD. It's my last name and first initial. And then you can follow Spencer and Locke on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Spencer and Locke. That's just one word all spelled out um uh, lock has an, a silent e at the end um, and then you can follow go into the chapel also on facebook twitter and instagram uh the handle is go to the chapel that's just one word uh, all spelled out um because going to the chapel does not fit on twitter uh so uh, yeah and then you know uh, anybody listening you know uh, you can still pre-order uh the uh second and third issues of spencer and lock two um, you can tell your local comic shop that you want issue one as well. Um, you know, stores tend to run out, uh, uh, tended to run out of our first volume pretty quickly, so they they will be able to reorder for you. Uh, but you know, pre-orders make or break indie books like ours. Uh, we, like I've said, I really want to do a volume three uh, for this book. I think people are going to love volume two. So anyone who pre-orders volume two, consider that essentially, uh, you know one more vote to tell our publisher hey we want to see more of this series and we'd really like to see it uh continue the way that the creators intended definitely definitely uh i want to plug the rest of the stuff for the show you can follow the rest of us on twitter nick is at death star plans renee is at rodriguer 29 i'm at mike rappin and the show is at ircb podcast uh you can join our goodreads group we have weekly threads uh we have lots of discussions and fun stuff happening there you can also check us out at ircbpodcast.com we have a pronunciation guide for all the artists and creators that we have there maybe you're not quite sure what their names are we aren't either that's why we have the guide and also apparently we have merch so that's cool you can check that out we would love it if you would take the opportunity to rate and subscribe our show whether that's on itunes whether that's on stitcher or wherever uh, you see fit and just please tell your friends about the show share it however you can and if you haven't rated why not it helps us for sure we would also love it if you emailed the show if you have any comments or questions or any jokes any of that stuff can be sent to ircb at destroythesibe.org please subscribe on patreon if you haven't yet that's patreon.com forward slash ircb podcast you'll get access to exclusive audio articles early access to top of my pile posts and so much much more that we have in store for you as mike's pointed out i think in the past there's an upcoming series that he's doing with paul about grant morrison's doom patrol that you just cannot miss infinity shred is the best band in the universe they do all the music for our show we can't thank them enough xander is a true true wizard who has ascended down to this earth to help edit the show he's a fantastic person and he edits the show pretty well we thank him for that i want to say thank you to david for coming on the episode you have been fantastic thank you to nick and renee as well for being on the show this week i love you guys and thank you to the listeners out there you guys are fantastic you are seriously some of the best people out there that read comic books and talk with us it's always great to interact with you guys on the internet so until next time comics are good and so are you